Hello good human and welcome or welcome back to the Sunshine Project podcast. My name is Chloe, I am your host and I'm in two minds about recording this episode. On one hand, I am very excited to be finally getting it out into the world and on the other hand, it feels quite daunting because today you and I are sitting down across from one another, and we are talking about grief. If you listened to the first few episodes of this podcast many moons ago, then you know that the Sunshine Project was born of grief in one way or two, and that without exploring and navigating grief over the past several months, this podcast wouldn't exist. And yeah, I've just been nervous I've just been nervous to try and put into words all of the things that I think and I feel and I've found about this, but as we're coming up to the end of the year, it just feels like now is a better time than ever before for us to really delve into this, because grief is harder over the holidays, that is just a fact. It is harder for so many reasons, and it is harder for so many people navigating so many different forms of grief and yeah I suppose I just I feel a pull to get this out to you today and now. Although this episode and Wednesday's episode will of course feature me speaking to you and doesn't have quite so much room for you to say things in return as you may know we do have a Facebook group the Sunshine Project podcast community and there'll be some very open lines of communication there from me to you and from you back to me. So I gently urge you to come and join the group if those lines of communication are something that you're seeking and otherwise I think maybe you and I should get into this week's mindful moment. My love, you and I are about to delve deep into the thick of the grief. And if you're going through grief, if you're navigating grief right now, or if you have in the past, then you know just what I mean by the thick of it. Because grief does feel thick. It feels thick and gluggy, like a black tar stuck to the bottom of your feet, stuck to the soles of your shoes. It feels like... There's something making you move more slowly through the world, more deliberately, more painfully. And so before we step into the thick, gluggy grief that is to come, you and I are going to bring a little bit of lightness to our bodies and our minds. And the first way we're going to do that is by stretching out our spine, so If you're sitting down, I want you to pull your shoulders back. If you're walking or you're driving, I want you to pull your shoulders back. If you find yourself hunching right now, you're not anymore. Your shoulders are back and you're rolling them backwards one by one, letting the light into the space around our chests, breathing in deeply as you do so. From there... I want you to stretch out your arms 
I want you to reach them as far out as they go and I want you to give your gorgeous little hands a wiggle. Wiggle those fingers and feel the lightness flood through your hands, up your arms and towards your heart. Let's move our heads from side to side now, loosening up our neck. I want you to pull your face into a big smile. It doesn't have to be a real one. It can be a pretend one. And then relax your face. And together we're going to do a few deep breaths. We're going to do a deep breath in. One, two, three. We're going to hold. One, two, three. And out. Two, three. Now I want you to feel in your own body if there are any other places that are tense, if there are any other places that are clenched, if there are any other places that feel shaky, like the breath I did just was. And I want you to take a moment to focus on those places and to bring a little golden light to them with your mind. Maybe that means a big stretch. <sighs> Maybe that means some more breaths. As we speak about grief today, I just want you to know that two things are allowed to be true. Two things, more things, are often true when it comes to grief. I want to remind you that grief and the grieving process can be both deeply human it can be something that we all experience that we all go through and it can also be completely shit and that's just the truth sometimes really awful things happen and as much as I would love to be able to take you by the hand and tell you that bad things will not happen in this life I can't in good faith do that so what I'm going to do instead is take you by the hand and tell you that I'm here through it, that you will get through it, and that one day you'll look back on a period of grief that feels so thick and heavy and gluggy that you think you might never move through it, and you'll know that you have. And you'll see that thick, gluggy grief now fossilized surrounded by the golden light bright glow that you've brought with you to get through this okay i always meant for the sunshine project to feel like two friends having a chat you and me and you might be thinking two things right now you might be thinking firstly it's a pretty one-sided chat which yes yes it is Onto thing two, which is you might also be thinking for the last few weeks, you have been bringing some pretty intense studies, research papers, facts, and statistics to our conversations. Now, is that something that somebody would do if they were just sitting across from a friend and we were drinking our tea or our coffee or our oat milk mocha and having a chat together? Yes, yes, it is. That is something I do quite regularly with the people that I adore and you listening to this podcast right now fall firmly in that camp. So I did 
also think when I was planning this episode that probably the realistic and reasonable thing for someone to do if they were speaking about grief with someone they love would be for them to share personal stories and speak about how grief has affected them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to speak mostly in that way today. I'm going to share with you my grief story because I think it is really, really helpful to know that you're not alone in navigating grief. And I also am going to just explain grief a little bit because goodness me, I just cannot get away from the facts and stats. And I just feel sometimes like understanding something deeply and properly is a really good way to get through it. It's a really good way to heal through it. It's a really good way to move through it. And so we're going to do a little bit of that as well. Let's start with the sciencey side of things because I always do get a little bit nervous when I'm recording these episodes that I might speak to you for 20 minutes and you might be listening thinking, this chook has no idea what she's on about. So hence the Googles that I do. And essentially I did quite a brief dip into what grief actually is, what different types of grief are, what it all means. And I found a paper on grief and bereavement by Jimmy Petruzzi, which I will link in the show notes. And essentially he summarizes grief by saying that grief and mourning are the inwards and outwards expression of bereavement. That grief is the intense and deep feeling of sadness and anguish after a loss, which is a natural part of healing. And then he goes on to define the different types of grief that we might experience. And I have three personal stories that I'm going to share with you today, and they fall into three, two or three different camps. I'll let you be the judge. So the first type of grief is anticipatory grief, and anticipatory grief is the process of dealing with grief that you expect to come, anticipated and real losses that are on the horizon. So you might feel anticipatory grief if you have just received a diagnosis for yourself or someone else. You might be feeling anticipatory grief if you're going through an acute or chronic illness or a terminal illness of yourself or others. You might be going through anticipatory grief if you have lost significant, you know, processes in your life like your health or your functionality, your independence, your dignity, your body parts, or, you know, you've lost a life that is close to you. Then there's normal grief, which is essentially the term used to sum up just the normal feelings, reactions, and behaviors that are expected after a loss. So when I say normal, I mean there has been hesitancy by medical professionals for quite a long time to diagnose people with depressive illnesses, according to the DSM-5, straight after they've experienced a loss or they've begun the process of grieving because it is normal to feel low and sad and angry and hurt when you're going through something like that. And then there's complicated grief, which can be a number of things. It could be chronic grief, delayed grief, exaggerated grief, or masked grief. So the difference between normal grief and complicated grief is, you guessed it, complicated grief is complicated. 
Complicated grief can include normal grief reactions that don't subside, like they just keep going and going. Delayed grief is when you maybe feel okay at the time and then you feel the grief hit you at a later stage because you have suppressed or postponed your grief, whether you've consciously or unconsciously done that. During exaggerated grief, you may be in a position where you feel incredibly low and there can be elements of self-harm or self-hatred around this. And I do just want to say that I will pop some resources in the show notes to get help if you need help because there are so many resources out there. I know it can be really difficult to reach out, to find help, to accept help, but you are so deserving of help if that is something that you need. And then masked grief is where the survivor of the grief is not aware that their behaviours are a result of the grief. So they might not realise that they are grieving. They might not realise that they are going through grief or navigate a grief. In general, it's said that complicated grief is associated with significant loss and trauma that might be around unexpected deaths, it might be around unresolved grief, it might have to do with other stresses that are happening in your life if you're grieving at the same time as, you know, going through mental health issues or money stresses or a lack of support systems. And then there's also another type of grief. So we've been through anticipatory, normal grief, complicated grief. There's also something called disenfranchised grief. And This isn't looked at as closely as the other three because it's not as common, but it does make me really sad. And I think it's probably something that we need to give a little airtime to because disenfranchised grief is encountered when a loss is experienced that cannot be openly acknowledged, publicly shared or socially sanctioned. So that might be in the 90s and 2000s and Potentially, even now, disenfranchised grief might be felt by partners of HIV AIDS patients or of people who have lost someone very important to them that the world was not aware of. That could potentially have to do with people's sexuality or their religion. It could have to do with grief around the loss of ex-spouses. It could have to do with the loss of people that other people don't know that you love or that you care for. And it could also have to do, depending on your situation and your culture, with the loss associated with things like abortion or miscarriage or adoption, suicide, crime. There are so many elements that add to disenfranchised grief. And I probably should have given a trigger warning right up the top, but I'll make sure I pop it in the show notes. I just want to say that I will be speaking about pet loss and about pregnancy loss and about overarching grief in the next little while. And I just want to give you a heads up that if your heart is feeling particularly tender around either of those topics today, please go gently. You can pause at any time, you can step away at any time, or if you are not ready or willing to listen to stories about this right now, please feel free to join me on Wednesday's episode where we'll navigate how to move through grief, how to support others through grief and what we've got in our sunshine toolkit to help make this wobbly stage of life a little bit easier.
So this is the part of the podcast where you get to sit back and relax and take a big sip of whatever you're sipping on and I get to wax lyrical about the grief that I've experienced in the last little while. And I've thought a lot about what to bring to our table here and there are three different types of grief that have really affected my life in the last few years and there are three stories I would like to share with you. And my reason for choosing these three stories and these three elements of grief, well I suppose reasons, I am sharing them with you in the hope that if you are feeling alone right now, if you are feeling like you are navigating something that no one else is navigating, you know after listening to these that that is not true, that we all have experiences that are so rich and unique and yet they are experiences that are shared the world over. I hope that by sharing these I give you a basis for what we'll be speaking about in two days time which is all about getting through grief, supporting others through grief and our little sunshine toolkit, what we can take with us and use in periods where we are grieving quite thickly. And the third reason is that I like sharing little parts of my life and my story with you because I like sharing with my friends and again I don't mind how dorky it sounds I do consider you listening to this to be a friend of mine and I love that you're listening to this and I love that you listen to me meander and chat and waffle and yeah I just really want to share this with you. Now when I reflect on grief in my own life I have three things that come to mind really clearly. The first one is Patrick's illness. So a few years ago in 2019, my sweet husband Patrick got really sick when we were in Lombok, which is an island off the coast of Indonesia. It's quite close to Bali, but it's not. It's much more rural and much less developed. And he had something that we thought was gastro maybe or a parasite because we had found our way into a very dodgy bat cave situation the day before and we found our way to the local medical center and I asked them where the closest hospital was and they took one look at him and told me that we wouldn't make it to the hospital and the doctors there were very young and very inexperienced and I say that not because they were wearing braces on their teeth still but because they didn't know how to get the IV fluids into Patrick that he needed, that he desperately needed. And there were between 10 and 15 tries, I would say. And then they finally got the needle into his arm. And I also say that they were young and inexperienced because as the IV fluid was, you know, going into him, I was sitting next to him with my hand in his hands and honestly just like hoping and praying and wishing to whoever was out there that my husband was going to make it back to Australia alive and the doctors were snapchatting me and talking about how cute it was and what a cute couple we were and watching MTV video clips very loudly right next to us so yeah there was a lot going on about five minutes after the fluid had started being administered to Patrick, I remember reaching down and touching his arm 
because his face was just getting more and more pale as time went on and as I touched his arm I felt the coldest skin I'd felt in my whole life and I realized immediately that they had actually missed his vein and that his arm was filling up with the IV fluid. None of it was in his blood. None of it was making it to where it needed to be. The grief that I felt in that moment was significant. I didn't think he would make it back here. He didn't think he would make it back here. And we did actually end up getting an emergency flight back to Australia. Big shout out to our sweet friend from high school, Elise, who was also our travel agent and managed to make that happen for us. But the grief didn't end with that really traumatic experience because Patrick ended up with essentially what would probably now be recognised as post-viral fatigue or a post-viral illness, but back then pre-COVID we weren't sure what it was, doctors weren't sure what it was and he was in and out of hospital for months and months with absolutely no answers. I mean he did actually get diagnosed with a blood disease while we were navigating all of this but that was unrelated to his illness which just kept getting worse and worse and its peak came about two weeks before our wedding. He had been off of work for three months by this point and He had been working in the same factory, manufacturing fences and welding for nearly 10 years at this point. So this is not a person who takes time off work lightly. And also at this point, he had about 20 minutes of good time in a 24-hour period. So when I say a good time, I mean he had about 20 minutes of the day where he could get up, he could have a shower, he could eat some food. He could be alive and in the world. And other than that, he was sleeping, he was resting, he was very, very unwell. And that actually ended that period of real illness just around our wedding. Thank goodness. I don't know why, I don't know how, but it did end and he did get better. But Even now, he will occasionally have a flare-up and the grief that he feels and that I feel around those times, so that chronic illness, that management of chronic illness, even without, you know, a really helpful diagnosis, with that comes a lot of grief. And I know that that's not something that only he and I have experienced because after I was diagnosed with ADHD a few years ago, I have a lot of friends and a lot of people that I know that experience quite a similar type of grief. They weren't grieving around my ADHD diagnosis. I just have a lot of friends who have been navigating the system for similar diagnoses or the same diagnoses in the last two years. And a lot of them felt grief around what they considered to be a disorder, you know, around the years of their life lost to disorganisation or misunderstanding, around the years of their lives lost to not understanding fully who they were and the way that their minds worked. And yeah, so I guess all of that falls into anticipatory grief. It's something that I still navigate often to this day. Thankfully, the flare-ups are not so common anymore, but it is very difficult. And The way that I have dealt with that one is a funny sort of way. I would always find myself 
thinking into the future when Patrick's condition was really acute. So, you know, we were sitting in this medical centre in Lombok. They did eventually get the IV into his arm, you know, into his veins. He did receive those fluids that he needed. Otherwise, I don't think we would have made it back to Australia. But when it was in his arm and it was in his veins, I found myself on Pinterest scrolling for wedding inspiration. And when we were back in Australia and it was a few weeks later, I found myself doing research about a family car that we would have in the future. Like all of these things should not feel important and pressing, but they did. And I can't help but wonder if it's because in my mind, if I'm planning for a future with this sweet human, then he's got to make it through. He's got to get there. I don't know if that is a normal reaction to anticipatory grief, but it was my reaction quite consistently. And if you felt that way too, then I see you. So the next time I was really walloped by grief came with a bout of pet loss. And I love that we are speaking more and more about different types of grief and different types of relationships with our mental health and with the world around us. But I sometimes still feel like pet loss is not taken very seriously. And I guess it's like the girls that get it, get it. Like the people who feel that their pets are a part of their family and feel that their pets are a big part of their lives and feel that their pets are beings that they love, they're going to get it. Like they're are people in our lives who, if we tell them that we've lost a pet, they will wholeheartedly and genuinely give us their most sincere love and their most sincere condolences. And I guess there are people out there who just don't really know what we're on about. But if you have lost a pet recently, let me just tell you, it is one of the most difficult, complicated, complex, all-encompassing feelings of grief that I have ever had. And I think maybe with pets, like with humans, it is quite dependent on the situation. But my recent experience with pet loss was one that was not a case of old age. It was not a case of long illness. It was that four of our pets, they were two chickens and two ducks. And again, I understand not everyone has a close relationship with their pets or their poultry or their livestock, but I need you to know that these chickens and these ducks were close personal friends of mine. I need you to know that when we adopted the chickens, they had come from being Uh, commercial layers and they were terrified of humans and that every day I spent 10 or 20 or 40 minutes out with them, sitting with them, teaching them to trust me, teaching them to find things that they enjoyed in this life, like rolling around in the dirt and like calling out in their beautiful, low, happy clucks when they saw me bringing food to them. And I learned how clever they were and they learned to get excited when they saw me. And I need you to know that our ducks were called Cheese and Quackers and that we actually adopted them to heal heal a little hole in our hearts that were left by the original Cheese and Quackers. That's another very traumatic story, but not one for today. And I need you to know that those little ducklings imprinted on us and on Patrick in particular, and they 
thought they were dogs because they spent so much time with our dogs and that they would wag their tails like dogs did and that Patrick would walk around watering all of the baby trees on our property and they would follow him from tree to tree and they would scoop up a mouthful of water and they would splash around in puddles where they could and that they were the four sweetest birds you could ever meet. And I need you to know that they all died on the whim of some neighbourhood dogs, two French bulldogs, which seem like they should not be able to hurt a fly. I mean, they're not very big, but it turns out these French bulldogs, A, were blooded. They, I don't know that they're really pets. I'm pretty sure that they were in existence to breed from and I know that they had killed other animals before well I didn't know that then but I know that now and you need to know that these dogs burst through two fences and two reinforced cages and that they killed all of our animals for fun like none of them got eaten none of them were food they were absolutely massacred beyond belief you need to know that we heard a commotion and went outside and Patrick caught it all in the act and tried to tell me to stay away from the situation because he knew that it would break my heart and I couldn't and I didn't and it did break my heart and you need to know that when the ranger came out the next day to assess the situation she said it was the worst thing that she had ever seen in 15 years of doing that job and I think it's kind of interesting because I wasn't on Pinterest looking up baby ducks or baby chicks to try and replace them and I wasn't trying to plan a life or a future with them in the way that I was when Patrick was really sick instead this time for the first time in my life With grief came anger and fury and for the only time in my whole life I walked through the world thinking it was too bright and it was too positive and I remember and I can't believe this because it is so at odds with how I feel all of the time. I remember that I was in Target one morning and it was pretty early in the morning and, you know, I was like a few days in and I was so sad and I was so sick and I was so angry at the breeder of these dogs and, I mean, honestly, not really at the dogs themselves, but at the situation and I was so sad and I heard the people that worked at Target, you know, like laughing and having fun and joking with one another and I remember the distinct feeling of thinking, how can you be so happy when things in this world are so hard and having that thought really helped me understand why some people walk through the world the way they do it's very much paint it black by the rolling stones if you haven't listened to that song and you haven't listened to the lyrics and you do feel a sense of anger when it comes to grief then it might be right up your alley but yeah that was and that was a different way to navigate grief again and I couldn't sit with that anger I'm not very comfortable sitting with anger so instead I poured my whole heart and soul into a 14 page report for the rangers not to have anything happen to the dogs that's not I'm not an eye for an eye kind of gal 
the death penalty is simply not my thing. But, you know, in the hope that some fences might get built and some responsibilities might be adhered to in the hope that this wouldn't happen to anyone else in the future. And again, in that way, I suppose I just found it really healthy and really helpful to get through it by channeling my energy into something that wasn't just grieving. And my third and probably most significant experience with grief in the last little while was the pregnancy loss that I navigated back in March of this year. And that was the most all-encompassing time of grief that I've ever experienced. And I told the story way back in the second ever episode of The Sunshine Project, but we found out that our baby's heart wasn't beating. When we were just about 12 weeks along, we found out that their growth had stopped a while ago and that their heart had stopped beating more recently, that they'd really tried hanging on and they'd really tried hanging in there and it had just got to the point that they couldn't. And being in the ultrasound room with Patrick and hearing that there wasn't a heartbeat was simultaneously the most real life and the most surreal thing that I've ever been through. And the grief that followed that was so thick and so immense. And there are a number of things that are still getting me through that because it is a process. I find that the grief around that happening comes in waves. I found that I was okay for a little while because I really folded inwards and protected myself and held good, strong, flexible boundaries around what I could let into my life and what I could not at the time. So that meant I didn't see anyone because I didn't want to end up consoling other people and I knew that I would if I saw them. I had love and support from those around me which came from telling them that we were expecting a baby quite early on and for that I'm so thankful. I also had love and support. We had love and support from strangers on the internet because I made the very unusual decision to tell the world that we had lost a baby that they didn't even know we had. I remember it had been about two days after we found out that the baby inside me was no longer alive and I had been listening to Bigger Than the Whole Sky by Taylor Swift on repeat and I felt that familiar feeling that this grief needed somewhere to go and it wasn't going to be planning out a nursery for our future babies and it wasn't going to be writing a 14-page report to anyone because who would I write it to and what would I say? So instead, I decided to take what I was experiencing and gently offer it to the world in the hope that the loneliness that I was feeling might be quelled ever so slightly for someone else who was feeling really lonely about the same thing. Because I said up the top, quite often miscarriage isn't spoken about. It's not, it's not polite and it's not done. And I wanted to see that change. And, and that was about the best thing I could have done because I 
wasn't through with the medical stuff and I wasn't through with the difficult stuff. It was actually another full month until I had physically completely passed that baby through my body. There was a month of walking around, holding on to that physically and mentally. And then it wasn't until a few weeks ago that I actually allowed myself to grieve ritually. And what I mean by that is I had Rosie, my beautiful doula, come and do a session of what's called being a loss doula with me. And we did a pregnancy release, I would say. And I hadn't realized how closely I had been holding the grief that I'd felt. I hadn't realized that I'd still been masking and I'd still been pushing things down and I'd still been pushing things away until I went through that process of actively grieving and of ritually grieving with Rosie. And I honored the grief that I was feeling and I didn't just decide to move through it, but I let it move through me. And on Wednesday's episode, we are going to speak about getting through grief and about ritual and about what that looks like. And we're going to speak about what moving on actually means. And we're also going to speak about supporting other people through grief because that can be so difficult. It can be so hard to know what to do or what to say. But I promise you, if you are doing and saying anything, and your heart is in the right place, then it's better than nothing at all. So I can't wait to speak to you then. And I love you, good human, and goodbye. This podcast was recorded and edited on Ghana land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.